0: All right, well, if you'll uh, take your Bible, if you haven't, and turn with me to uh, Romans chapter five. I want us to look at Romans chapter five and talk a little about the doctrine of justification by faith alone. So uh, this is one of the core things that we believe as, uh, as Christians. Like if you uh, wake a Christian up in the middle of the night and ask them, what are some of the most important truths in the Bible, one of the truths they should talk about for sure is the doctrine of justification by faith alone how we're right with god how we can have peace with god not through our works but through trusting in jesus's work on our behalf that's basically the doctrine of justification by faith alone it means that we stand in the right before god on the basis of faith instead of on the basis of works or uh, you could say faith in christ's work instead of on the basis of our own work. And we want to talk a little about justification by faith alone, and specifically the impact that believing that should make on our church culture, our way of life, how we relate to one another, how we think, how we act, how we speak, how we feel. I keep uh, talking about us wanting to have a gospel culture, and I know that's a little bit of a, a funny word, but it just basically means being a group of people whose way of life reflects what we believe. So there's these things that we believe are important. We have them on our doctrinal statement as a church, and they matter to us. They're essential, we would say, and they are also uh, really different than what the world around us believes. And that should make an impact on our culture, uh, the kind of church that we are, our priorities, our values, our relationships, our way. Like, for example, I'm saying, what the Bible teaches about the doctrine of justification by faith alone, because this is a big one. Uh, Some people would say this is the big one. This is a really distinct, unique truth. We believe as Christians that our works don't justify us or earn us God's approval. So like we roundly, we wholly, we completely, we absolutely reject the idea that we're justified in part or in whole by our own good works. In other words, we as people are done with self-justification. We're not done with justification. We still need, we see to be just, we need to be justified, but we're done with self-justification. It's all Jesus for us, which is something I know that we can get used to uh, going to church, uh, at least a, a good church. We hear it a lot, but it's actually a really unique thing we believe as Christians, like shocking. It is not the default mode. Of the human heart at all this is not the way we're born thinking or being taught to think this is not something you find out there that shapes the way most people work the exact opposite actually it is distinct and it's important it's like a dividing line really i mean you believe this you're a christian you don't believe this you're not you can't be this is not just one more doctrine among others as Someone has said, it is the article by which the church stands or falls. Who justifies you? What justifies you? It is that important doctrinally. And so I want us to take a little time and think about why it's important practically as well. If this is one of the key distinguishing doctrines, what difference does it make? In other words, as I heard someone once ask, if this is the doctrine by which the church stands or falls, what does it look like for us to stand? What happens in our hearts, in our lives, if we're believing that we're justified by what Jesus did? What difference does that make, but believing this on the way we are as a church? And I know at first, uh, maybe, probably, that seems a, a little obvious. Like, do we really need to think about the difference being accepted by God on the basis of Jesus' work and not our own makes. And yet, if we look at our Bibles and if we look at our own lives, it's not obvious a lot of the time. This is a a hard doctrine for people to believe, Uh, shockingly hard. I mean, there is literally only one religion in the entire world that teaches this way of salvation. And so it's really hard for people to even accept And yet, you know, even when they do accept it, it's still very tempting for them to neglect it. Martin Luther used to say, I feel like I have to bang this into our head, my head, our heads. It's tempting, even when we believe it, to neglect it or to live in a way that fundamentally denies it. That's pretty much the book of Galatians, actually. If you want a proof or illustration of that, you can read it. But that's pretty much the book of Galatians. The scary thing is that it's possible to have the doctrine of justification by faith alone right on our doctrinal statements, and yet live in a way that's almost the opposite. Partly because we've got so many habits and so many ways of thinking and interacting with people and God even that are shaped by justification by works, by self-justification. It's like the air we breathe. I read a a pastor this week who said, self-justification is the deepest impulse in the human heart. And that's quite a, a statement. And it makes sense. He explains, here we are, apart from God, here we are, and we're created to image God, but now we're distortions of God. We're located in this glorious universe, but now we experience it as an environment of accusation. And we'll never change, not even a little. The way we are, our wills are unfree, and facing ourselves honestly is unendurable. That existence is impossible to bear. What do we do with it? Either we try to find ways to ignore it, or we try to find ways to cover ourselves so we can feel better about ourselves and pretend like that's not the way it actually is, or we shift the blame in order to justify ourselves and relieve our anxiety. The whole world is a mess. Our whole world is a mess and you listen to people and it's always someone else's fault because that's what comes naturally to us, self-justification. And that's why there are so many warnings in the New Testament to Christians over and over and over. Why Paul has to say to the Galatians, to the Colossians, to the Philippians, don't go back because he knows the temptation is real. Sometimes to go back doctrinally, to get the doctrinal statement wrong, but sometimes uh, not so much doctrinally, but practically to live in a way that denies the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And, And that wasn't just a problem for the everyday church member in the New Testament either. You remember Peter. You remember how Paul had to even oppose Peter to his face because he saw, quote, Galatians 2.14, that his conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. In other words, he knew justification by faith alone. He believed justification by faith alone. He preached justification by faith alone. And yet at that point, he wasn't living in line with justification by faith alone. And that's a, a real danger, having a, a doctrinal statement that says justification by faith alone and a way of life that says justification by works. And that's why I want us to think a little about the difference this doctrine makes and, and just a little because there probably are about a million different ways it should impact our lives. But I'm going to give you just one, but it's a big one. It's a, it's a really big one. If you look down at Romans chapter 5, verse 1, you know, Romans is Paul's big book on justification, his longer book. Galatians is the shorter one. But in Romans chapter 1 through 4, we find Paul's most thorough explanation of justification anywhere. And after all that in-depth teaching and doctrine, and doctrine, in chapter 5, he begins to make a transition. He says, therefore, Romans 5 verse 1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, I've explained this is the only way to be justified, and now I'm going to work through some of the implications. And verses 1 through 11 here are, are like an introduction, where Paul establishes the theme that he's going to be expounding until the end of chapter 8, where he draws the, this section to a conclusion, saying basically the same thing, actually, in Romans eight thirty one to 39, that he said at the beginning. Romans 5, 1 to 11, and Romans eight thirty one to 39, are parallel passages, bookends even. And you put them together, and you see that Paul As he's applying this doctrine of justification by faith alone to the way we think, one of his key, most important applications, like for Paul, if you get anything, you need to get this. What difference does justification by faith alone make? Number one, number two, number three, number four, Romans 5, Romans 8. It means we can know God is for us. We can know God is for us. In other words, we're a needy church for sure. And that's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. What kind of church do we want to be a needy church? Because we know what we deserve. So we should be humble as we look at ourselves. And yet at the same time, we want to be a confident church. Because we have the absolute assurance that God is for us. The absolute assurance that God is for us. You understand that's like one of the key Protestant doctrines. One of the key truths behind the Reformation was this doctrine of assurance. We are sinners, and we are saints. We deserve hell, and yet we're dearly loved by God. I I wrote down some statements as I was thinking about this little series that should be so core to how we think of as a church. And one was that we need Jesus. That should be clear when people come here. Those people know they need Jesus. Two... God really can change messed up people. Those people believe in the power of the gospel. And this is three today. This is number three. God is for us. Even though those people recognize their need and their sinfulness, they're not going around all uncertain, depressed. There is a joy. There is a confidence. They believe God is for them. Therefore, Paul says, since we have been justified by faith, and he's, drawing out the implications of justification, and you look down and you can see pretty quickly that there's a lot of good things in these verses. I mean, it's just full. Even listening to Huey read it now, uh, this is like Martin Lloyd-Jones would take maybe seven years on this passage uh, because it's so full of great things. I mean, there's peace with God, there's obtaining Access by faith into this grace, there's exalting in the hope of the glory of God, there's Christ dying for the ungodly, and really each one of those uh, statements deserves a, a sermon for sure. But the one big thing that Paul wants to get across through it all is that as believers we finally have a real reason for the assurance, the confidence, the certainty that God is for us, whether we feel like it or not. Justification by faith means we have rock solid reasons for believing God is for us. The the key word in the text, I think, is the word rejoice, the second half of of verse 2. Rejoice, Paul says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's one of the implications. Then through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and that's another. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and that's a third. And that particular word, rejoice, is a really important term in this whole passage because it's something Paul goes on and says three times. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, verse 2. We rejoice in our sufferings, verse 3. And verse 11, we also rejoice in God. And so that's the key word that ties it all together. And yet, while that's the key word, I don't think that's actually the best translation. Uh, Because this is the... Same exact word that Paul's used throughout the first several chapters of Romans. And in those earlier chapters, each time they translated that word, they translated it as boast, which is bigger than just rejoicing. It's to glory. So you remember the Jews back in Romans 2.17, the people Paul was rebuking here, actually. He says, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, and that's the same word, same exact word as here in Romans 5.2, rejoice, boast. And so Paul's talking about where they find their confidence. Romans 2.23 uses the same word as well. You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. And then Romans three twenty seven, which is the climax of Paul's teaching on justification by faith, he says, then what becomes of our boasting? It's excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. And I read all those references because it's the same word every time. Rejoice, Romans 5, 2. Boast. In other words, the point here is that the doctrine of justification by faith alone results in us boasting. What do we do as a result of justification by faith alone? We boast. I was going to title this, uh, We Should Be a Boasting Church. And yet, it feels a little weird to say that, and it's probably why the translators translated this as a different word, because we usually use this word in a negative way, because most of the time when we're boasting, we're boasting in ourselves, which is actually one of the primary things Paul's been trying to show that justification by faith alone should stop us from doing in chapters 1 through 4. Paul's gone to to great lengths in chapters 1 to 4 to show that justification by faith alone means we have absolutely no reason to boast in ourselves, and that's important, of course, but the thing is, it does not mean that we have no reason to boast, and that's important as well. We have to get this. In fact, we get this right, not just mentally, but practically in our lives and in our culture where we boast— what we're actively seeking to boast in as a church, that becomes our culture. It's revolutionary, absolutely revolutionary. Because first off, the doctrine of justification by faith alone shows us how foolish we are for ever thinking of ourselves as superior to others, for trying to prove we're superior to others, for for trying to justify ourselves. And this is Romans 1 to 4 again, really. Paul's like, stop Stop! You know you've got a a problem, and that's why you get so worried or anxious, whatever. But your problem, Paul says, is bigger than you realize. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And that's your fundamental problem, and it's such a big problem. You absolutely cannot fix it, no matter how hard you try. So stop trying to justify yourself. It doesn't work. That's the first four chapters. It's like this big Biblical case why you can't justify yourself. Which, again, actually is what most people are spending their entire lives trying to do. Whether they realize it or not, whether they're religious or not, everybody's got a resume they're showing you all the time. They've got this problem, they know it's a problem, and they're looking for ways to ignore the problem, or they're looking for a way to blame someone else for the problem, or they're looking for a way to fix the problem themselves. If you look at most people, what they say, what they do, why they do it, you can really explain them as being driven by a desire to justify themselves, to save themselves, a desire to boast, to find something, somewhere to boast in themselves. Look at me, I matter. I'm worthy. And that's why people's opinions matter so much and why they get so freaked out every time they're criticized and why they have to work so hard and make such crazy sacrifices to get something that will make them stand out. Where they go to school, what kind of clothes they wear, what kind of car they drive, the friends they associate with, even how their children do in sports or or in school, whatever. I mean... Yeah, they may not even fully understand the real problem of the wrath of God. They might even deny it, but still, they're driven. They're looking for some reason to boast in themselves, which is part of what makes justification by faith alone so revolutionary, because the first thing that it does is strip us of absolutely every reason we might think we have for justifying ourselves. Can I boast in this? No. Can I boast in this? No. Can I boast in this? No. It's really humbling when you come face-to-face with it, which, of course, is why most people don't want to come face-to-face with it. It's like watching a video of yourself doing something that you really thought you were good at. You know, maybe you thought you could dance, and then you actually watch a video of yourself dancing, and you're like, wow, you're not good at that at all. And it's humbling, and we don't like it, because it's like, here's this stuff that I thought was a way for me to be able to say, I matter, I'm worthy. And God is like, you know what? None of that is able to do what you think it's able to do, which is hard and it's humbling. And yet at the same time is also good. And you know why? Because once you understand the foolishness of living your life, trying to justify yourself, it frees you up. Once you've seen that, to look somewhere else for justification somewhere that's real, and not just you pretending. The reason Paul is stripping us of all these other things that we're tempted to boast in is not because he doesn't want us to have any place to boast. The the only answer the world has is delusion, pretending like you have a reason to boast when it's nonsense, or denial, just seeing it's nonsense and we're all a mess, and so whatever, or depression... But the gospel is better than that because while justification by faith alone does mean we have no reason to boast in ourselves, it doesn't mean we have no reason to boast. We have a reason to boast. We have a reason for confidence. And that's Romans 5, really, verses 1 to 11. And I don't know if maybe that's sounding a little vague to you, but what difference does it make? We need to be a, a confident Church. It means we can be a confident church, a a boasting church. But how does that change our culture exactly? It's a little like living life on solid ground, really. And so the the way most people are naturally going through life, uh, self-justification, boasting in self, it's like standing on a log in the middle of a river. And so what difference does it make, you know, standing on a log or standing on solid ground? It makes a difference. When you spend your life trying to justify yourself, it's like you're out there on a log in the middle of a river and there's no stability, there's no security. You're constantly running in place just to stay up. And sometimes when the river is calm, it's not so hard. But once the river starts speeding up, you have to desperately grab on to anything you think will help you not fall in. And you know, if that's not just you doing that, if that's a whole culture in a family, a community, that's exhausting if we're all just standing on logs running as fast as we, as we can. It's hard to work together to get anything accomplished if we're all just trying to stay up. I mean, if we're never sure God is for us, if our worth is dependent on our own efforts or performance. But we don't have to be on that log in the middle of the river. And in fact, we're not anymore if we're Christians because we know that we can't justify ourselves and actually that we don't have to justify ourselves. We're standing on solid ground. We have real reason for confidence that God is for us. And I know that's a little shocking. Sometimes it feels a little shocking for me to say it to myself or to say it to someone else. But if you're a Christian, the God who created this universe, the God who is absolutely holy... The God who is valuable, the most valuable person that's ever existed or will ever exist is 100% for you. Which is awesome. He's not just for you generically. He's for you. (laughs) That's part of what saving faith does. You realize that, right? Saving faith is not like, oh, Jesus died for all those people, all those sinners. Saving faith is like, I'm the sinner. And Jesus died for me. He's for me. He's Not just for this church in general. He is, but he's for me. I embrace that. That promise is mine. God is for me. And that's shocking, and it's, it's thrilling, and it's life-changing if we believe that. What difference does it make? How could that not make a difference in everything? But it's sometimes so hard for us to believe It's honestly sometimes even hard to say. It almost feels like heresy to say God is for us when it's actually the gospel. (laughs) God is for us because of Christ. And we look at our lives and we look at ourselves and sometimes it's tempting to wonder how, how can we believe this? I think two of our problems. One is that it's really hard for us to believe we're quite as bad as the Bible says we are. And... It's really hard for us to believe we're as loved as the Bible says we are. We shrink the gospel, and Paul reminds us here, we have real reasons for believing God is for us, for boasting. Specifically, he gives us three. The first reason being that we have peace with God, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And peace meaning what? What does he mean by peace? Absence of war between us and God, or between God and us. And it's something objective that Paul's talking about. Uh, this is not a feeling. It's not a con- uh, just an attitude of the soul. It's a, it's a state. It's a condition. Obviously, we worship our feelings nowadays, and so we often give our feelings a level of authority they don't really deserve to have. And so the primary thing many people are concerned about is whether or not they feel like they have peace with God. When what matters is whether or not we actually do have peace with God. Because, of course, it's possible to feel like you have peace with God apart from being justified by faith. And that's why many people aren't concerned about it. They assume things are fine with them and God because they feel like things are fine, but their feelings are wrong. Because it's not, absol- it's not actually possible to have peace with God without having been justified. One of the the problems most people have is they don't understand the problems they have, and that's why so many people aren't concerned about their relationship with God. But God, the Bible tells us, is angry with the wicked, and that is you and me by nature. And so unless something is done with our sin, that means God is angry with us, and that's part of why Jesus came. Paul tells us God put him forward as a propitiation, Romans 3.25. In other words, as a way of turning aside God's wrath at us by taking God's wrath on himself. As he hung on the cross, one man explains, Jesus bore our sins in his body and endured the full wrath of God. And God held nothing back. All his anger is spent, which is how he's able to be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And it's how he's able to forgive us because on the cross, Jesus completely paid the awful penalty for our sins so that God could extend his kindness to us through complete and total forgiveness of sin. Past, present, and future, which is often hard for people to fathom. Because when we talk about being justified by faith and and say it means we've been forgiven of all our sins, it's not not that we're saying God decided to ignore our sin uh, because that obviously would be frightening, because what if he suddenly decided to stop ignoring them? Ignoring a debt is very different than paying the debt, which is what justification means. Justification means the debt has been paid. There's not one cent left, and that's why we can be confident if we're justified. That's why we can boast, actually, God's got nothing against us because it's done, it's finished. It's not some process of paying God back. Justification takes place once and for all. It's not something that's repeated over and over and over throughout your life, like peace, not peace, peace, not peace. When God justifies a a believer, uh, all the sins of that believer, past, present, future, are forgiven, the sum total of all the sins that he will ever commit in his life are blotted out by this one act of God, which is why Paul can say, since we've been justified by faith, that's past tense, we have peace with God now, whether we feel like it or not, quoting Paul in Romans 8 verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And how could there be? Because who would there be to condemn us? God's the one who did not spare his son, but freely gave him up for us all. How's he not gonna give us everything else? Who's gonna bring a charge into God's courtroom against those whom God has justified? God is the judge who's already declared us innocent. Justification by faith alone gives us reasons for confident, confidence, solid reasons to be assured because it means we have peace with God. There is no longer any reason for him to be angry with us the way he was before. The war is over. And actually, we can take it a step further because the way the Bible uses the word peace is not just negative. It's positive, probably primarily so. Which means it's, it's not enough to say that peace with God means that God's not against us because it also means that now he's for us. We have confidence, we can boast, because justification by faith alone means God is not neutral towards us. Like, okay, their debt has been paid, now you stand over there or in the corner, I don't ever want to see you again. No, he's for us. Or to use Paul's words in Romans 5 verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Justification by faith alone. One gives us reasons for confidence because it means we have peace with God, and two, it means we live our lives now in a state of grace. This is this is uh, this is this is it. This is oh, this is awesome. Sometimes being a preacher feels like standing by the Mona Lisa or something. You're like it's awesome, it's awesome, it's really awesome. Look, look, look. And justification by faith alone, look, it means we are living our lives in a state of grace. We have obtained access, Paul says. And access is a word we usually use for the ability to get in somewhere. So if someone has access to the president, they have the ability to get into where the president is and speak to him. And that's why sometimes when the Bible uses the word access, it's using it to describe the privilege we have now to come into God's presence and yet here Paul's actually using the word slightly differently not very differently but slightly differently in that he's saying being justified by faith results in Jesus giving us access into this grace in which we now stand we stand in grace and grace is God's undeserved kindness and so it's not just somebody being kind to you when you don't Uh, deserve it. It's somebody being kind to you when you deserve the opposite. In other words, it's not so much being nice to a stranger as it is sacrificing for an enemy, which is illustrated by God declaring us righteous, which Paul is picturing here as almost being like this room. So you can imagine this room that you enter, and it's God's grace. It's God's special, undeserved, loving-kindness. And so, if you imagine a room and it's this place where everything God does for a person is because he's for them, he loves them, he's seeking their good. We would all obviously want access to that room. And yet, no matter how hard we try to unlock the door to get in, there's only one person that can open that door, and that's Jesus. And he offers that door to anyone rich, poor, high in society, low, good, bad so long as they come helpless and hopeless, depending on him to open the door for them. And when they do, when we do, he gives us access into this grace. It's like he opens the door for us, and we walk in, and then it's almost like he closes it again and locks the door. Now we're in the room of grace for good. As one translator translates this phrase, through whom we have access as a permanent possession into this unmerited favor in which we have been placed permanently. Permanent possession into this unmerited favor in which we have been placed permanently. And I'm being a little funny, of course, talking about it like a room, grace as a room, but ultimately it's Christ. So he's not just the one who opens the door. He's the room. Jesus is the grace of God. And when you're saved, you're united to Christ. You live your life in him, which is why God can look at you as righteous. And ultimately, the point I'm trying to make is that because of that, because you have this access into this grace that Paul's talking about, you can be confident because it never changes once you've been justified. You stand in that grace. If you've been justified by faith, you are immersed in God's grace. That describes his complete attitude towards you. And so it's not uncommon for uh, Christians, you meet Christians who kind of look at God as if his attitude were to, to them were mostly uh, angry. Or at the very least, they look to God as if he were, if he's not angry, he's mostly always just completely disappointed with me. And to a certain extent, you can understand that because we know about God's holiness and God's greatness. I kind of think that some people, it's like they feel like they were randomly chosen to be part of the president's cabinet, you know? Um, Can you imagine a person who's terrible at math like me and yet the president randomly chooses him to be minister of economics? And he's sitting there at the table with all these other people with like seven PhDs and he knows it's supposed to be a privilege but he's like wondering when everybody's gonna see that he doesn't have a clue what he's talking about. And so he's not enjoying the privilege at all. And that's how some people are with salvation. They know it means they're able to enter into God's throne room, but that's not something that gives them much pleasure because they're always thinking they don't deserve to be there. And it's like, when is God going to find out that I don't deserve to be here? And yet that's absolutely wrong because if there's one thing that justification by faith alone teaches us, it's that you weren't given access into this privileged position because you deserved it. You didn't deserve it. You were given access into the state of grace where God is always looking at you with love and with kindness because Jesus deserved it and God united you to Him. We don't have to live life with a vague sense of God's disapproval. Are you a Christian or are you not a Christian? That is the question. Because if you're outside of Christ, yes all that jesus did his death his resurrection doesn't do you any good and so no matter what you do you're living in a state of condemnation it's kind of like if you were living in pompeii back in what 79 a.d before the volcano erupted and you say to someone you're going to die tonight because the volcano is going to erupt and wipe out this whole city and they're like but let me show you my house it's really a nice house and you're like i don't know maybe it's a nice house But that house isn't going to do you any good if you're living here in Pompeii. As long as you're living outside Christ, there's no hope. But in Christ, it's a completely different situation. You name the problem, Christ is the solution. He is the source of every single blessing. We were slaves to sin. He was sold to buy us back. We were held captive. He was treated like a captive to deliver us. We were under a curse. He was made God's curse. For our blessing, we were sinners and he was treated like a sinner so that we might be forgiven. By him, John Calvin once said, God's fury is made gentle. God's wrath is appeased. Darkness is turned to light. Fear is reassured. Debt is canceled. Sadness made merry. Disorders ordered. Rebellion subjected. Intimidation intimidated. War warred against. Damnation damned. Death dead. And mortality made immortal. In other words... Jesus is the room we're standing in, and it is a really, really good place to be. Because it's like God took every single good thing that he has, and he put it there in Jesus. And so if you're in Jesus, all there is is blessing and grace. And so as you look at yourself and how you're performing, and you're asking, can I really believe God is for me? Stop. Stop. Because the question is, are you a Christian? Where are you living? What room are you standing in? Because, yes, you're right, your sin is ugly. It's actually uglier than you think it is. And you're so right about that, how awful it is to be living in that condition. Because here it is God loves you, and He's made it so obvious that He loves you, and all He is is for you. And so His commands are for you. You are not just disobeying some angry king now. When you sin, you're disobeying your loving father who is only good to you. And so it's a big deal. You're right to feel badly as you look at yourself. You can grieve him as a father. You you don't want that. But don't just look at yourself. That's the thing. You can't just look at yourself because that's not all God sees. That's only half the picture. You're not living in Pompeii anymore. So yeah, you can show me your house and be like, it's not that great. And I'm like, yeah, you probably should fix that. But this is a completely different situation than where you used to live because it's not just about you and your performance anymore. It's about Jesus. So look at Jesus. Can you be sure God's for Jesus? Is anybody here to argue with that? Is God for Jesus? Yes, he lived the perfect life. (laughs) He did everything absolutely right. He kept the law of God. He died a death he didn't deserve. And so the key question is, Are you you in Jesus? Are you united to Jesus? Because if so, if you've truly been united to Jesus, you have been justified by faith, and that's why you can be sure God's for you. Put your resume down. (laughs) Jesus is your resume. One, you have peace with God. Two, you have access into this grace in which we stand. And three, Paul says you have the hope of glory. Now feel this one. Uh, and it's not just any glory, if you look at it. It's actually the glory of God. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. And glory is not a word we use too much anymore, but it has to do with being recognized, with worth being recognized, with value and honor. There's even an element in the New Testament of beauty and radiance. To be glorious is to be something beautiful. It's to shine. It's, it's something that's impressive, glory, even awe-inspiring. And look, Paul says here we can boast of the hope of it. And hope is not something you're wishing for, but it's a certain confidence. Something that you're excited about because you know it's going to happen. And so Paul says we have reasons for confidence because justification by faith means we have this kind of certainty about glory, and specifically the glory of God. Now, what hope do we have of the glory of God? What does he mean? The first thing we might think he means is the hope of seeing the glory of God and actually enjoying what we see and not being consumed by it, which is is true and awesome and hard to to fathom because obviously God the Father doesn't have a body. He's a spirit. And so when we get to heaven, we're not going to be able to see him like we might see one another. He's not like an old man sitting on a throne. He's God, which is maybe why it's helpful to think of our hope as being the hope of the glory of God, because while we won't behold God the Father in a physical form, there's some way in which his beauty does radiate out from his perfection, it shines out, and because of Christ and his justification that he's provided, we're going to be able to stand one day in the presence of that absolute beauty, even though we've all sinned and fallen short, we have the confidence of experiencing that awesome glory of God because of what Jesus did which, as one pastor says, is going to be a more pleasing, spectacular sight than anything we've known or could ever imagine on earth. But there's more, because not only will we see the glory of God the Father, we're also going to live in the same place that Jesus does, which is a second thing Paul means when he says we have the hope of the glory of God. We have the hope of seeing the glory of the Son of God, and that's Jesus. Jesus is God the Son, and we know he became man and that he's still living now as God and man in an absolutely perfected state and when we die as people who have been justified we will go and be with him where he is where we'll have as Jonathan Edwards has written the most clear view of the unending depths of wisdom and knowledge of God and the most bright displays of the infinite purity and holiness of God that could possibly appear anywhere and we'll see in a much clearer way than we ever did before what is the breadth and length and depth and height of the grace and love of christ and as a result we'll finally come to understand christ's unmeasurable dying love for each of us in particular we're going to see everything in 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 jesus that will call out for our love jesus will be like a magnet for our love and everything that's in jesus will satisfy us completely and we'll see all this in the most clear and glorious manner without any shadow or any confusion without any impediment and without any interruption i mean we see some of that now in these bodies but it's like a person in the morning looking at his window and seeing the sun beginning to rise, where the hope, the boast we have is greater than that. It's when we die, we'll see Jesus as we see the sun when it's fully risen on a perfect cloudless day. Which is more than enough, I'm sure, as we talk about the hope of glory, to think that justification gives us reason for confidence that we could experience any of that. But did you know that biblically speaking, the hope that Paul's talking about extends beyond just that? Because while we talk a lot about the glory of God, uh, we sometimes forget that God talks a lot about how he's going to glorify us. Paul puts it like this in Romans eight twenty nine and 30. He says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, and whom he predestined, these he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. Past tense. Paul doesn't simply say, those he justified, he will glorify. Those he justified, he glorified. And he uses that past tense to describe what God's going to do in our lives in the future, because in Paul's mind, it's so certain. If you're justified, you will be glorified, which means God is going to give you glory. So listen, God's already declared you righteous because of Jesus, but that's not the end. That's actually kind of a beginning to what God has planned for you. He's given you this grace so that he can give you glory. As Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 14, and it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that because that is mind-blowing. Called, what were you called for? Called to gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. What? I mean, that almost seems too big to even be able to to say, but we need to say it. We need to believe it. We need to boast in it. That should be our culture. These people are constantly exalting in the fact that they are going to be glorified by God. God himself is going to glorify you. I was reading Paul Tripp recently, and he likes to talk about how we as humans are constantly seeking glory. So that's uh, how we were as unbelievers for sure. We're glory addicts. Um, we were again, I know I keep saying this, but we were laughing again yesterday at the U.S. Open, watching the U.S. Open, and you know just how big we smile when we see ourselves on camera, uh, it, especially somewhere where it, there's a lot of other people looking too. It's just like people like this. Ah! You know, so happy we're such glory addicts we're just like we're like addicted to this and that's why we went around like parading our own righteousness and taking pictures of ourselves near important people where I spent where I was for a long time they would I would notice a lot of my friends would take pictures of themselves near nice cars and I knew they didn't drive that car they didn't even always have a car but they would take a picture of themselves near nice cars and talking about ourselves all the time And that's why we're so crushed when it became obvious we're not that glorious. And that's why we're so self-important and why we crave being respected and treated with such honor. We spent our lives seeking our own glory or looking to boast in ourselves. And what's so sad if we're Christians and going back to that way of living is that we're trying to do something we can't do and that God's already done. This is part of what the gospel means. Justification by faith means, it means we can know God is for us. This isn't just wishing. We have no reason to boast in ourselves, but we do have reason to boast because justification by faith means we have peace with God. We live in a state of grace. We have the hope of glory. And what difference does that make? First, again, we need to stop, right? We need to get off that little self-justification hamster wheel where you're just running and running and running and just going round and round like everybody else because it doesn't work. It's foolishness. But you know what? There's more because we're not just like cynics now as Christians. What a waste, you know? We're all the same, just bad, 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 bad. It's so pointless because we've actually got the hope of glory. Now, we can face the future with absolute confidence. We should be a confident church. And you know one place that confidence should stand out? Now I'm kind of getting to it. You know one place that confidence should really stand out that God's for us? I'm going to try to get super practical. It's when the pressure is on. Because, look, say everything is going well and we're comfortable and it looks like we're doing well spiritually and everybody thinks we're a success. And so say you've got somebody like that who's confident in themselves and everything's going well like that. And then you've got somebody who's confident in Jesus. How are you going to know the difference? I know there's going to be some differences, but in terms of the church where we're all Christians and we've got this way of acting and speaking, it's not always going to look so obviously different on the surface. But you know when the difference really shows up where it's it's got to impact our culture? It's when things aren't going well. Are we going to believe God is for us then when we're suffering? And we can define suffering as painful things coming into our lives sickness failure persecution financial problems what is our culture then because you know what we've seen what american culture is like the past couple years when there's suffering or there's the possibility of suffering maybe we all look like you know nice people until the possibility of suffering comes into our lives and when people suffer what happens they get really uncertain and there's a lot of fear, and there's a lot of questions. And it actually, if you've got a whole culture, this is what we often thought when we were in Africa, you got a whole culture that's governed by that fear, it's really a dangerous culture. It's like a lot of dangerous, it's really volatile because people are so unsettled, they're so uncertain, and their reactions are so extreme because of the fear. And and, you know, you can hide the fear a little when things are comfortable, but the, the threat of suffering pulls back what's under there and that underlying uncertainty fear of the future impacts an entire culture and yet paul says verse three you know what difference justification by faith makes the fact that you're at peace with god because of jesus that he's always because for you because of jesus that he's going to glorify you because of jesus that should change the way you look at tough times that you're going through right now more than that paul says we rejoice in our sufferings and again that's that word boast Christians are actually able to boast when we suffer. Why? Because that's like a completely different response. And to some, it like, seems super strange. Lose a job, boast. Come under attack, not get so angry and freaked out. Boast. Why boast? We boast because we know, we absolutely know, God has something good in store for us in the middle of those sufferings. And if you look down, Paul even brings one up in verse 3 as an example. More than that, we boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And so that's like an illustration of how God's working for our good. Because we have hope, he said, we boast in the hope of the glory of God, and yet it's hard for us to hope in our hope. When life is going easy, we stop longing for heaven. And so God brings sufferings into our life to cause us to long for the glory he's going to give us. And and there's more there. It's like another series of sermons. But do you see how practical this is? Because, look, the point is, here's this great big doctrine, justification by faith alone. And yet it might sound so heady when you look at the terms and what it means. But it's so revolutionary, really. It's got to change our culture. You say, how? Well, big picture, it means God's for us whether it's going good or not. And, and we're so confident of that. And so the question is really, what would, be a, what would a culture be like, do you think, where the people were always absolutely sure God was always 100% committed to accomplishing something good for them, even when things got super hard? What would a culture be like that wasn't so afraid and uncertain of the future? Because that's the answer. That's the answer. And you know, obviously, uh, we're not always going to act like that because we're sinners. But that's what justification by faith alone means. That's what's real. It means we know God's for us. And I know it doesn't always feel like that. That's kind of our fundamental problem. The sin underneath so many of our sins is not believing God is for us because of Jesus. And so we do this or we do that to try to fix it ourselves. And so you know what we've got to do this is a part of why we have church. Why Cornerstone exists, we've got to help each other connect the dots. Otherwise, we're just tempted to go back to self-justification and to living this life that's dominated by fear and uncertainty. So how? How do we do that? How do we encourage one another? First, again, I keep saying it, but we've got to refuse to be people who are boasting in the same things the world's boasting in. That absolutely can't be our culture. Our culture instead has got to be God's for you because of Jesus. Jesus only Jesus. And second, we've got to constantly be preaching justification by faith alone to each other. We've got to feed each other this doctrine. And you say, how? I'm not a preacher. No, this is not complicated. We need to constantly encourage each other two ways. Let's make it simple. One, we need to keep reminding each other when we get down and discouraged. Instead of looking at ourselves, look back to the cross, especially when we're failing. Especially when we're suffering. Verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for who? The ungodly. So you say, I'm a sinner. I'm bad. I'm bad. I'm bad. Yes. God knows that. I'm glad you figured it out. That's who Jesus died for. And in case you missed his point, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the problem is not that you're unworthy. The problem is that you feel like you are worthy or that you should have been worthy. Don't look at yourself for confidence. Look at the cross. Remember, I think I've maybe told you this before, but I used to play squash with one of my friends, and he beat me every single time I played with him. And, uh, well, almost every single time, but it felt like every single time. And uh, I would get so discouraged at the end of those squash games. And you know why I got discouraged? I mean, it was obvious I was a bad player. You know why I got so down, though, like weird down? Is because I thought I was a good squash player. And I really wanted to prove to myself that I could play which is sometimes why we don't appreciate justification by faith alone, honestly. We want to be the one guy in all eternity. You know, everybody's laying at Jesus' feet. We're all worshiping. But we want to be the one guy that Jesus looks at and, like, winks, you know? And he's like, yeah, you're a little different. I know you you did this. Everybody else. And we're like, yeah, okay. You're not that guy. None of us are. When we get there, it's all Jesus. Enjoy it enjoy it. And when we get down looking at ourselves, we need to be a place that says, no, look back to the cross. Jesus died for sinners. That's first. Second, we've got to be constantly reminding each other when we're worried about the future, how absolutely secure our future is because of the past, because of what Jesus did in the past. Verses 9 through 11, we're worried, we're worried, we're worried. You're going to heaven for sure. What do you have to be afraid of? Paul says, since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. There's lots in our life that feels scary, obviously, and it is scary. It is scary to a certain extent. But there's nothing that compares to enduring the wrath of God forever. There's no fear we can bring up that compares to enduring the wrath of God forever. And God has delivered you from that because of Christ. Proof, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice or boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Peace with God. God is for us. So what justification by faith alone means. He's for us, not because of what we've done, but because of what Christ has done. We have rock solid reasons for knowing that God is for us as a Christian. If you're a Christian, if we're a Christian church, we know God is for us because of Christ and that has got to change our culture. Let's pray. Lord, this is just like obviously dipping our toes into the ocean of justification by faith alone and even this one passage uh, i'm glad i'm justified by faith alone because i didn't do justice to this whole passage lord it's so awesome what you have done for us through christ and uh, we know uh, lord for some reason it is sin and and pride it's so difficult for and the culture the world in which we live it's so difficult for our hearts to opened up big enough to really appreciate what it means to be justified by faith alone and so we're like people standing in this great big room of grace and worried and fearful and so uh, Lord we we ask that you would help us uh, to learn to enjoy to really enjoy and actually exult in what you have done for us through Christ and that that would that would change uh, the way that we interact with one another the way that we look at the future uh, because we're people who are we're not running on a log in the middle of a river any longer uh, we're people living life standing on solid ground we pray this jesus in your name amen